We're going to be coming today from 1 Samuel 16. All right. 1 Samuel 16. And we're going to skip around a little bit. I'm going to go to verse 1, 6 and 7, and then 10 through 13. And if you're still looking, say, hold up. All right. 1 Samuel 16, 1, 6 through 7, and 10 through 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 10. Thus Samuel made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are not, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. You may be seated. I want to preach today from the title, Don't Count Me Out. Don't count me out. Tell somebody, don't count me out. Don't count me out. We've all experienced being in a place of isolation. Whether you've made a conscious decision to be in isolation or circumstances out of your control placed you there, you have at one time or another experienced isolation. We experience emotional isolation where we are separated from others because we are unable or unwilling to share our emotions with other people. We experience social isolation, a complete or near complete lack of contact with the general society based out of shame or fear of abandonment or loneliness or maybe we just lack the social skills needed to build relationships. We experience physical isolation where there's a spatial, a spatial separation of yourself from other people. But we've all experienced isolation. Maybe, maybe you've experienced isolation by your friends turned enemies. They used to love you, and now for whatever reason, they can't stand you. Maybe you've experienced isolation from your family. They know you, who you used to be. They know you were down for whatever, but now you think differently than them, and they don't like being around you. Maybe maybe everybody in here has experienced that. They don't invite you to the parties and the dinners. They don't like talking to you for too long because for whatever reason, you make them feel uncomfortable. We've all experienced isolation. Maybe you've been isolated because you made a decision 
to live your life differently than others. Regardless of the reason, reason you've been in some form or fashion isolated. Maybe you've been in a relationship and for some reason or another it just didn't work out and it caused the distance between you two. Maybe your isolation stems from being rejected by a parent or a spouse who left you. Maybe your isolation has stemmed from a lack of social skills and you're too shy and you don't interact well with people so you find yourself alone a lot of the time. We've all experienced Isolation. Maybe you use isolation as a defense mechanism because you don't trust people or you have a fear of rejection. Maybe you've experienced isolation in your singleness. You want to be married or you want to be in a relationship, but you haven't found the right person or maybe you're not the right person. We've all experienced isolation. Maybe you've experienced some things that elevated your thinking. And now you're uncomfortable with who you used to be and who you used to be around. And so now you don't go around those people. You have to have to separate yourself from those people. Maybe you're changing and no one around you is changing. Maybe your thought process is changing, but nobody else's is. And so you've made some good decisions and some bad decisions. And for some odd reason, that caused people to separate themselves from you. But regardless of the reason that you find yourself in, there are people and places and things that you have separated yourself from. Maybe your dreams or your purpose has you in a place of isolation. You are believing God for great things, but the people around you are satisfied right where they are. We've all been in a place of isolation. Somebody say no vision. No vision. No vision. Isolation has created a void in your life at some point or another that you've tried to fill with other things. You've tried to fill the void with people. You've tried and it failed. You've tried to fill the void with things and it failed. You tried to sleep the void away and that failed. You tried to eat it away, sex it away, smoke it away, work it away, but no matter what you try, you still find yourself in a place of isolation back where you started and not knowing how to fix it. You figured out that nothing works. You've tried everything, but nothing can satisfy this void that you have been experiencing. You've been isolated. You've been isolated by your mindset. You've been isolated in your relationships. You've been isolated by your personal choices. You've been isolated by the choices of others. You've been isolated by your desires. You've been isolated. You've been isolated mentally and physically and emotionally and socially. You have experienced isolation. But I want to suggest to you this morning that not all isolation is negative. That sometimes what looks and sounds like rejection and isolation is just God placing you in a hiding place. And what looks like the hand of others getting you there is really the hand of God. This isn't the antisocial isolation that we arrange for ourselves. I'm speaking of the isolation that stems from people counting you out and thinking their actions in view of you will affect the outcome and circumstances or turn the table in their favor. I'm talking about isolation at the hands of people who are insecure. I want to suggest that sometimes people reject you based out of their own insecurities. That sometimes people discredit you based out of their own ignorance. That sometimes People disregard you and it's rooted in nothing but fear of who they have been called to be and them knowing who you have been called to be. They see something in you that they fear will cast a shadow over their own purpose. 
somebody say isolation. Isolation that for some reason they feel who you've been called to be will interrupt their purpose. It will interrupt their opportunity to operate in who they've been called to be. You made somebody feel uncomfortable and they pushed you to the side. That somehow by removing you from the equation, that removing you from the equation, their chances of success and their chances of moving ahead are somehow increased. That's isolation. Somebody say isolation. And this is what David's brothers did to him. His father did this to him. Tell somebody, don't count me out. Don't count me out. Don't count me out. It's so easy to relate to the brother's insecurities and the father's rejection, but most importantly, David's isolation. See, we've all been counted out. We've all been in that place. We've all been on both sides of the equation. We've counted people out and we've been counted out. So don't tell yourself, don't tell yourself any lies and act like you're just the one being discounted. You discredited somebody. You rejected somebody because they made you to feel uncomfortable. You've counted others out. But today, we're going to talk about what people can do to us and where, we, where it is that we're supposed to be. Maybe this isolation caused you to get into a negative place. Oh my God. Maybe you were or are in isolation and you aren't even aware of it. <laughs> what Satan means for evil, God means for what? So I want to suggest to you that God does his best work on you when he has you all by himself. And that's where we meet David. David's chilling all by himself. He's isolated in 1 Samuel 16. David was alone. He was keeping sheep. He was a shepherd, a difficult job, a dirty job, a lonely job. And we are told of the circumstances leading up to David being alone with the sheep. We're introduced to David while he's with the sheep. But the text leads us to believe that what he was left to do was what everybody else didn't want to do. The job of a shepherd is to take care of the sheep. This job requires you to care about somebody more than just yourself. It requires you to put your neck on the line for somebody more than just yourself. It requires you to put forth more than just a little bit of time and a little bit of effort to care for somebody other than who? The job of a shepherd requires a different kind of heart than what most people had. It requires a different kind of heart. Shepherds work in isolated conditions with minimal contact with people. I researched how they operate. They're assisted not by people. They're assisted by guard dogs. Anybody like talking to dogs? Constantly. They are assisted by guard dogs. David spent his time making sure the sheep grazed safely. He guided them to places where they could be kept from being attacked. He made sure the food they ate was good for them and not poisonous. He made sure he was ready to move them to new areas when the food ran out. David had to be mobile and alert, ready to get them fed and back to safety for rest so they could accomplish their purpose. No one wanted David's job. He had to protect the sheep from predators, from coyotes, from wolves, from lions, from bears, wild and domesticated dogs. He had to be ready to fight the predators, to protect the sheep, the lives of the sheep. This job required a special kind of heart. David had to make sure the pregnant sheep weren't attacked or forced to give birth prematurely. He had to watch for predators who would attack during the birthing process and ensure the pregnant sheep didn't abort their purpose. He had to make sure they didn't experience exhaustion from running from predators. 
David had to do the dirty job of caring for the sheep. They were prone to infection and prone to disease from parasites and insects. David had to treat their infections and injuries and provide medication and comfort for the sheep. He had a dirty job to do. And we all know that when you walk among the animals, you tend to get your feet caught up in mess. David had to maintain a safe distance ahead of them to keep their mess off of him, off of him but also to ensure that they could see him at all times. He had to have vision. Somebody say vision. He had to have vision for where to lead them next and vision to anticipate the obstacles that lay ahead. David had a dirty job. He had an important job. And all of these things he did willingly. He did them wholeheartedly. He did them in spite of the risk. And he did them in spite of the isolation it caused between him and his brothers and his father. And it was during this season of isolation that God was preparing him and prepping him for his purpose. He's isolated. What they meant for evil, God meant for. If you take a step back to survey where we have come from, where you have come from, you will see that God has a way of working in and around you in spite of you, that he will prepare you privately so that you can have what looks like a suddenly in public. He will take your time out to work on you, to privately work on your heart and privately work on your mind so that when you are tagged back in, suddenly it looks like you've risen to the top out of nowhere. Where did he come from? Okay, that didn't go for everybody. Let's try another one. Okay, he will let you privately take classes and privately be trained by and sit at the feet of people who are experts in the field. So when you're invited to the table, you suddenly have meaningful and beneficial input. How did she learn that? Okay, that's not you. He will allow people and circumstances to pressure you into tight spaces, weighty circumstances, things that seem too heavy for you to bear. Anybody ever been there? Things that seem too heavy for you to bear. It privately causes you anxiety and privately causes you stress. It causes you painful scenarios in your life, things that would normally take the next person out. It makes you sick. It made you sick in your mind and in your body. But then when trouble comes, guess who's strong enough to handle it? And guess who they look to to get them through that issue when they haven't gone through anything? Does that fit with anybody? You are the strong person to carry the next person through because of what you went through. Circumstances created a need for a new leader in Israel. Circumstances created a need for a new leader for God's people. Someone who was after God's own heart. Saul had been rejected as king as over God's people. He was never God's choice. He was the people's choice. Do you guys remember in chapter 8, God's, God warns the people about this king that they desired, they asked for, they wanted to be like the other nations. He told them that he would take everything important to them, that he would take their children and their men and their women. He would take everything that they were. They would become his slaves. And what did they do? They asked for him. He warns the people of what Saul would do. He would take and he would take and he would use everything that he takes to serve himself. But when you want to do things your own way and reject God's way, you put yourself in position to be victimized. You put yourself in position to be victimized by the enemy. And Saul did exactly what he would do, what God said he would do. And he failed at being the king. And he took 
and he took and he took from the people and he put them in harm's way and he led the people astray and God was ready for their return and this is where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 16 the selection of Saul was initiated by man yeah that's right but the selection of David was instituted by who God the people's choice was a terrible king whose life ended in disaster but God's choice was the ideal king whose life and kingdom reflected a heart after his very own. A heart for the people. Somebody say, have a heart. Just have a heart. It's more important that leaders be anointed by God than appointed by men. So while they, there was a failing system in one area, there was already in the works another system that God was putting into place. Because he had something in mind. Something for you, something for me, something for all of us. And we weren't even there. He had another system. So while Saul was failing, David was in training. While Saul was rejecting God, David was worshiping God. While Saul was serving himself, David was serving and taking care of his father's sheep. Somebody say preparation. preparation. We're all in preparation. While Saul was running from the enemy he was supposed to be protecting God's people from and taken out, David was fighting lions and bears, training to take the enemy out. Somebody say preparation. But it's this time in David's life, it didn't look like preparation. It just looked like what he had been called to do, what he had been set apart to do, what he had been asked to do by his father. It didn't look like rejection to him. He was happy to do it. And that's what people forget sometimes. They set you up to get you into situations thinking they're doing something to you. And it's actually preparing you and propelling you toward what it is you're supposed to do. So we know isolation. We know it can be a lonely place. Isolation can be a lonely place. But what do you do? What do you do when the people who you who should love you, the people who should be caring for you, the people who should be looking after you and teaching you and training you up are the very people pushing you to the side, rejecting you, pushing you away and discounting you? What do you do when these very people forget about you and they isolate you? You depend on them. And they push you to the south. What do you do? My goodness. While Saul was being rejected by God, David was being rejected by his father and his brothers. They had something in common. They had something in common. They were both experiencing rejection, but Saul's rejection was as a result of his very own actions that he rejected God. And so God rejected him from being king. But David, he didn't do anything but be born last. And looked a little different. That's all he did. He didn't do anything but um, give give himself over to be humble and prideless. And so they set him apart for menial jobs. What they thought they were doing to him was keeping him away from his purpose. And all he ended up doing was being trained. So while Saul was being rejected and David was being prepared, God was telling Samuel to go get the oil. Because God was ready to begin again. And I don't want you to miss that. God was ready to begin again. And there are three things that we should not miss in this passage of scripture. It's God's provision. Say provision. God's oil. And God's anointing. See, your perception of your isolation can cause you to either miss or trust God's hand in your life. You can either miss it 
or you can trust it because of your perception, how you view what's taking place in your life. Your perception of the things happening to you can cause your faith in God to increase or decrease. It's your perception. What you do in your alone time can determine the direction of your destiny. Anybody say they have a destiny, a purpose? What you do in your alone time is preparing you or not preparing you for what it is you are supposed to be doing. Tell someone next to you it's not what it looks like. It really isn't. It's never what it looks like. Samuel went to Jesse's house looking for someone who resembled Saul. Did y'all see that in the text? He looked for someone who resembled Saul because that was his only reference. See, the people asked for a king, but Samuel got attached to the king. They passed in view of Samuel one by one. Jesse passed them in view of Samuel. And their hearts were examined by God. Their physical appearance was examined by Samuel. But their hearts were examined by God. Samuel looked on them physically, but God said, I don't want that. I want the hearts. I want a man after my own heart. So don't get connected to people who look the part. Don't get connected to people who look the part. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us discernment to be able to judge the things of God and to let go of the things that are of Satan. Jesse presented his first son, who was tall like Saul, a probably really good looking, a tall man like Saul. He looked kingly like Saul. Samuel immediately thought, this is the next king. He looks kingly. He went to pour the oil and it didn't flow. Jesse presented seven sons to Samuel because surely the next king was among his seven sons. Surely they were among them, but they were desirable to the eye. They were tall. They were good looking. They were physically built. They were men of war and they were rejected. God isn't looking at our appearance. He's not looking at our appearance. It's good to look nice. It's good to care about ourselves. But when you jacked up on the inside and you looking pretty but don't nobody want to be around you, that's not a good place to be in. You can't infect anybody's life with anything positive because you nasty. And don't nobody want to be nasty with you. Here they are prancing in front of Samuel, knowing that they got the, they got the parts. They didn't get the part. God wasn't looking for them. He's not looking at our appearance. He's looking at our character. He's looking at our heart. The Bible said God provided himself a king. God's provision, this is my first point, his provision always supersedes man's perception. Jesse's personal perception of his own son caused him to miss God's hand on David's life. He had a perception of what God's king should be, so he presented what he thought God should have. Anybody ever did that? It looked good to you, so you tried to give it to God. God don't want that. And like Jesse, we have a tendency to do things our own way when God allows us to catch a glimpse of our purpose or a glimpse of some things he wants us to do. We try to help him out to get it done faster. He promised you success, so you take your small idea of what success looks like, and then you try to help God get it done. He promised you a husband or a wife, so you try to help God by picking out what you like. Instead of what God provided for you, you end up in a mess. He promised you a ministry. Instead of taking his provision and training of what's ahead, you put yourself on the fast track to nothing. 
You prepared yourself for failure. God's provision always supersedes our own perception of what we think it should look like. Your limited view, your limited resources, your limited knowledge of God will never be enough to meet God's provision for your life. You can't do it on your own. Tell somebody to just wait for it. Just wait for it. In order for you to get to the place you are supposed to be in Christ, you have to come face to face with God's provision. You have to be humble. And let go of your pride. You got to be willing to follow and not despise small beginnings. Because right. ain't nobody measuring your beginning that's but you. Right. Right. You measuring it. And you comparing it to somebody. That's how you get the size of it. But somebody who was humble enough to accept the undesirable behind the scenes is gaining a heart and the responsibility to please God in front. Maybe no one will see you doing what you've been assigned to do, but that's okay because your focus is who? That's where David was. He was behind the scenes while his brothers were being presented as important. Sleeves rolled up is where David was. Getting dirty is where David was. Slinging, singing and writing worship songs, playing his harp. Probably looking like he's talking to himself. Killing lions and bears. They probably thought he was weird. But David was minding his own business, and he wasn't concerned about anything but pleasing God. And if God came looking for you today, if he came looking for you today, what would he find you doing? Not physically, but in here. What would he find you doing? Number two, God's oil will only pour for who and what he purposed it for. And this is where the text blessed me because I didn't get it. I studied it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I put this thing away because it didn't make sense to me. But then it made sense to me. Samuel examined seven of Jesse's sons. Seven. Can you imagine the expectation in Jesse's heart knowing his oldest would be king? He did something good. He looked the part. He was impressive. Of course, Iliad would be king, except he wouldn't be because his anticipation was based in the flesh. And God was looking at what? The heart. So here he goes with his seven sons, and he, he finishes his last son, and Samuel's confused. Because what did he tell him to do at the beginning? Bring me, bring me, bring me your sons. He brought seven, and he left David out. He counted David out. He, he counted David out, because who would want messy sheep herding David? Who would want stinky David? Who would want menial job having immature David? Who would want... David, who would want isolated, dirty David, rejected by his father, David, who would want him? He sits in a field all day long talking to himself, taking care of sheep that nobody wants to take care of. Who would want David? Who would want him? So why would I present him? He's probably an embarrassment. He don't look like the rest of us. He don't think like the rest of us. Who would want dirty David? Who would want David? But Samuel wouldn't sit down. He said, something's not right. God sent me here, and I believe God, and this oil won't poise, so what's going on? And he said, well, there is one more. Can you imagine being treated like that? And maybe somebody has being treated like that. But it was David who had a heart for God, not Eliab and not any of the other ones. It was David who worshipped and worked. It was David that was humble and willing to go toe-to-toe with the enemy. It was David who God was preparing for himself. It was David who God came looking for. It was David who was comfortable being who he was. 
He didn't have to look like anybody else, act like anybody else, be ambitious like everybody else. He didn't have a pretentious bone in his body. It was David that that oil poured for. And you may think that God forgot about you, but I want I want you to remember something. Sometimes we do things that cause us to get out of line with God. And we say we got to get ourselves together. But when, when David, when Samuel called the family to the consecration and the sacrifice, he told them to do two things. He told the elders to sanctify themselves. And he told Jesse that he would consecrate him and his sons before the sacrifice because that was a ceremonial thing to do. You had to be clean to come. So when David came, he hadn't been invited to the sacrifice. He hadn't been invited to be consecrated. So he came stinky and he came dirty. He came rejected, but he came. And that oil poured for dirty David. It poured for dirty David. It didn't pour for the ones that they thought it should pour for. It poured for David. Because God is looking at the heart and you've been privately filling in gaps so nobody would experience hiccups in their lives. You've been taking care of your children. You've been taking care of your family, your husbands, your wives. You've been taking care of our bishop and our pastor. You've been taking care of kids at school and kids at daycare. You've been singing songs and writing sermons in public and think nobody notices. But God sees your heart. God sees your heart and that's what we've been called to do, to come to God as we are and come to God with everything that we are. It doesn't matter what we've been through. It don't even matter what you did last night or this come morning. On, come on, come on. Last night or this morning because God is looking for somebody who is after his own heart. It's not that you have to stop sinning to come to God. It's the fact that you can recognize your sin and become righteous in acknowledging the fact that you need to repent and then that you do it. That's what God is looking for. You've been studying your word. You've been having a fear for God. You've been standing on the door, grinning and inviting people to worship. You've been doing all of these things. And you know God has something more for you. You've been doing the sound and making slides and, and doing Bishop's calendar. You've been you've been doing all these things, straightening the chair, coming in and praying, but nobody knows you here. You've been doing all of these things, and God sees your heart. In the middle of your serving, you gain a reputation. And it's not a reputation with the people, because that's not important. In the middle of your loyalty, you gain a reputation. You've been loyal. You've gone through some stuff, but you've been loyal. Your purpose, you were content with it. You were content with who you are and everything that God has given you. And in the process, you have been gaining a reputation. Somewhere between being called a flunky and being called a king, David gains a reputation. Somewhere between the sheep and the throne, David gains a reputation while he was caring for the sheep and being prepared as a real shepherd. David gains a reputation. Don't take your work assignments and your ministry assignments for granted. Your name don't come up because bishop calls it or pastor calls it or some other leader calls it. Your name comes up because God brings it up. That's what makes your name come up. So it don't matter what you do for people to see. Only matters what you do for God to see. Because only what you do for Christ, only what you do for Christ. Don't take what looks menial and redundant and small and take it for nothing. 
God is looking at your heart. He wants to know if he can trust you. God's anointing is reserved and used for fulfilling his purpose. That's so good. Samuel said, peacefully I come. And all he did was come to the sacrifice looking for the person God had pointed out to him. And when Jesse and his sons were invited to the sacrifice and they went through that ritual, can you see them? Can you get into their minds and understand how they felt? Because outwardly they had did everything required. But who required it? I love to point out grace. Because that's what we all need. We all are dirty David. That's us. Dirty David. We all need grace. And and grace is, is, is sleazy. It's promiscuous. It gets with everybody. Nobody's discredited. Not the homosexual, not the liar, not the gossip. Grace hangs around with liars and sex addicts. He hangs around with people who sleep around. And grace goes into the back alleys and the the bars. Grace goes into your house. Grace gets around. We're proof that grace gets around. We're proof. She hangs out with ballers and businessmen alike. You can find her in the classroom, the boardroom. You can find grace anywhere. And you see David coming to this sacrifice dirty. And that's all God is looking for is for you to come to him as you are. Nothing discredits you. Nothing discredits you. The one in this text in verse 12, it says, uh, because when Samuel came to get David and his, or Jesse and his sons, and he couldn't pour the oil. He gets a little bit upset. And he says, go get him. We're not going to sit until he comes. And when David comes, he says, arise, for this is the one. Other translations say, arise, for this is he. Another translation says, this is the one, anoint him. The one, the word one translated here is alpha, which means for beginning. David passed seven of his sons. And it was the eighth one that was the new beginning. Eight means new beginnings. The eighth son, the one that was rejected, the eighth son, the one that he couldn't, he didn't think would do anything was the alpha. He was the alpha. And so God reserved the oil for the beginning. God reserved the oil for the eighth son, the one who was counted out. He, he reserved it for the one. He reserved it for the one. Somebody shout, don't count me out. Because somebody in here today is sitting and they have been counted out. They've been overlooked. They've been ignored. They've been pushed to the side. They've been told that they would never be anything. But something is residing in you. God has hidden you for a purpose. That he has planted a seed in you like he did with David. You know what was in David? Salvation. You know what was in David? Genesis 3.15. 3.15 was sitting in David. And Jesse tried to reject it. He didn't even know salvation and deliverance was being raised in his household. Jesus was in the belly of David. He didn't even realize what he had in his household. And so the one who would crush the head of Satan was in David. Does God have you hidden for something? He does. What if he told you that you haven't let anybody know? My God, my God. That's all I want us to get to today, that because of Jesus and because of the things that he's allowed us to go through, we are we have access to grace. We have access to purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I need everybody to stand up, please. Please stand on your feet. David came to the sacrifice unclean, just like us. 
He wasn't invited. Yeah. He actually they were having a secret dinner party without David. He wasn't built strong enough or fit in enough to come to this party, but the party didn't even know the party was him. Tell somebody the party don't start till I walk in. Y'all might be trying to have a party, but sometimes it ain't gonna start till somebody gets there and that's not even conceded. They tried to have a party without the, the guest of honor. They tried to have a party without the guest of honor. The party don't start till I walk in. And that doesn't mean that you are special over somebody else. It means that God has something inside of you. This grace demonstrates how God looks at us. This grace demonstrates how God looks at us. Please grab somebody's hand. Colossians 2, 14 and 15, it says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That's why David was able to walk in bold. He nailed everything that we ever did to the wall. To the cross, I'm sorry. He nailed it to the cross. Nothing that you can do later on today, nothing that you did last night, hinders you from being who God has purposed you to be. And maybe there's somebody in here today who hasn't experienced the love of Christ, or maybe they've been discredited so much that they don't think they can receive Christ's love. Maybe they did so much dirt that they think they used to have it, but of course he couldn't love me now. But that's not the case. That's not the case. That's not the case. And so this is an invitation to you. If you need a, a, a new beginning and it's residing in you, God is waiting on you. If you need a fresh start, God is waiting on you. If you have some things to repent for, God is waiting on you. We will pray with you. If you need a church home, here is home. This is home. We want to walk with you. I have a friend who was born um, not on purpose. Actually, his mother was pregnant with him, and he um, was about six months in utero, and the grandmother found out that the mother was pregnant, and she took the mom to the abortion clinic to get rid of him. And the doctor said, well, she hid him well. You can't abort him because he's about to be born in two months. So she, she had hidden him well enough, and so at birthing time, here comes his, his time to come out of the canal and his cord is wrapped around the neck so tight that he wasn't breathing. And so Satan tried to take him out twice. And so they revived him and he lived and he, he gets home. His mother takes him home and then his father leaves him. So he's born without a father and they have to go live in poverty. Come on. Okay? He's being raised in, in the projects. And they try to jump him in gangs as he's growing up. They try to beat him up. They tease him. And then he grows up and he's wondering why he was ever born. He ends up with two broken hips. He ends up homeless, recovering from two broken hips, wondering why is my life going this way. And so he's my friend and I talk to him constantly because he goes up and down, up and down. And I said, you know, I know this guy. I said, he had a really, really rough, rough time, rough life coming up. And I said, he went through all of these things. And I said, and he was homeless. And now he has three cars and a dog and a family. He has an excellent job where he's the boss. I said, and not only that, he's like preaching at major platforms. He said, whoa, who is he? I said, it's you. And he was so confused because he didn't realize how far God had brought him. And that's all God wants to do for us. He wants to bring us from where we have been, the places and the beds that we have made for ourselves, and bring us into the light where he can
and bless us. And there is no shame in looking back and looking at where God has brought us from. There's no shame in that. The look back is anointed. Just don't walk back. The look back is anointed. So I want you to ask the person next to you, is there anything that you need from God today? Because I'm here for you. If you need a church home, this is your church home. If you need somebody to pray and walk with you, this is the person who will do it. I'm going to pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, keeping us, Lord God, and blessing us. Your name is above all names, Lord God. You have made provision for us, Lord God, in ways that we can never explain. God, we ask you, Lord God, to continue to remind us of the grace that you have shown us, Lord God, that our lives mean something even when people look at us and see nothing at all, Lord God. We say to you, don't count me out. We thank you for not counting us out, Lord God. It's by your grace and mercy that we are who we are, Lord God. Only by your grace and mercy, Lord God, that we are who we are, Lord God. We thank you in advance for your word. We thank you in advance for your purpose. And we thank you in advance for the oil that has been poured just for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, We went a little bit over, but I want to remind everybody that Seed Sunday is coming up. Seed Sunday is coming up. And I want to give you just one scripture that I want you to remember. It said, 1 Kings chapter 6. It says, so Solomon built the house. We in it, right? Then he finished it. That's the difference. There's a difference. You build it and then you finish it. It says he built the walls of the house within the boards. Within the, within the other walls of cedar. It's time for us to do something for our kids. We got the money, the original money, the initial money that we need to get the work started. But our kids are more than just the wall. That's right. That's right. That's right. They are more than just the wall. So as you think about that and ponder on that, that the wall was built. I'm sorry, the temple was built and then it was finished. We have some finishing to do. God bless you all.